Now, it will not surprise anyone that to, to openly acknowledge we are in tumultuous times, that uh, this season of the world's life, particularly in our United States, is it's tumultuous. And anytime we are in the midst of social, political turmoil, an ever-present factor involved all the time are competing claims of authority. Competing claims of authority that demand our obedience, demand our attention. So, for example, along with the, the old authorities, there's the old authorities of religion, national custom, local custom, family custom. Those are the old authorities shaped our lives. Today, Western society, we now give a shot at steering the wheel to celebrities. Well, we'll give a shot to cadres of scientists. We'll give a shot to politicians. Our emotions. How about, we'll just let our emotions tell us where to go, what's right and wrong. Social media influencers. People who live much of their lives in the back bedroom. We'll give a shot at authority in our lives. TV, radio personalities government policymakers, and then there's just ever-shifting public opinion. We can't, we can't even keep up with the, the, what is the authoritative voice in public opinion. It is no wonder that people are living fragmented lives, contradictory lives, and are so overwhelmed by trying to obey various authorities that they're breaking. Minds are breaking, emotions are breaking, so many people are at the point of collapse. While this is new to America, it is not new to the world. This, this array of authorities is simply paganism. It's paganism reborn. Many gods of human and spiritual natures promising favor, promising prosperity, if we will just give our allegiance. We're not used to it. That's why it feels new. We're not used to it. We're especially not used to the pressures that paganism uh, is bringing on the church. Some false god constantly creeping in the back door, trying to divert worship, exert pressure on what we accept as normal, trying to divert attention of God's beloved children. That's new to us. This week, uh, this was really coming home to me. One reason I'm talking about it is I was communicating with pastors in England and pastors in Rwanda, friends of mine, who were each experiencing profound pressures on their leadership. Uh, last week, we talked about the church closures in Rwanda. Uh, in addition to that, friends in England are they're encountering a fresh assault. Um, I've sometimes mentioned that uh, a significant part of my spiritual formation happened while uh, a young man in Oxford, and I attended an Anglican church there called St. Ebb's. 
the rector at that time and now, Vaughn Roberts, he remains a good friend. Uh, right now, it's the beginning of term time in Oxford. Students are back. Um, they, it's, it's freshers week. They're settling in. And this past week, a group of uh, religiously interested uh, gay and transgender students released a report uh, it, to various news outlets. And uh, this report ranked churches, Oxford's churches, on um, whether they taught a traditional Christian ethic or they, whether they affirmed sexual freedom and gender choice. That, that was the spectrum. Traditional Christian ethic or affirming, celebrating sexual freedom and gender choice. The purpose of this report was to warn freshers, new gay and transgender students, about, to warn them about churches holding biblical norms uh, and that they should steer away from those and to steer their way to churches celebrating progressive values. This report was uh, released in local news and then it was upheld and promoted in other local news and national news, the London Times. Um, ran a, a piece on this. Students were warned to stay away from St. Ebbs and avoid Von Roberts' biblical teaching because they would find the teaching of the Bible hostile. Now, this attack comes from people professing to be Christians, but unapologetically, the, the authority for the views consciously and definitively does not come from the Bible. It, it, it's a very self-conscious distancing from the Bible and from Christian teaching. The authority comes from, again, unapologetically, the authority comes from public opinion shaped by emotivism. Emotivism is a, the reigning philosophy of our day. It means the supreme authority rests in one's feelings. That's just the supreme authority. So, again, while this feels new to us, and, and it, it startled me, because these are friends experiencing this, it feels very new. It is not new to the world. It's not new. It is a return to paganism and endless gods. Now, fortunately for, fortunately for us, God came in Christ Jesus at a time when paganism was the norm in the world. And so our supreme authority, God's word, speaks with the assumption of countless gods, countless competing claims to people's authority. When we enter the world of the Bible, we are in a world that is, today we're in a much more familiar world to the world of the Bible. It's becoming more relatable, more understandable, not less. So today, because it's such a constant assumption, today our Bible passage addresses a church that has been deceived by false teachers bringing alternate authority. So what can we learn as we are still progressing through 2 Corinthians? What can we learn from the struggle in Corinth? to help us live faithfully today. 
So please open, if you're not there yet, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. At the beginning of chapter 10, there is a sharp break from the preceding discussions. After spending, you know, looking big picture at this letter, Paul spent seven wonderful chapters reestablishing relationship on the basis of the gospel, reconnecting with these uh, house churches in Corinth on the basis of the gospel. And then he spent two chapters giving uh, on giving as an outflow of faith and restoring the commitments that they had had. And now Paul comes to the last subject, dealing with the cause of the trouble in Corinth. It's as if he put it off, he put, it, put off the unpleasant subject to the end, the false teachers. And it is an unpleasant reality that he's left here to the end. Of course, we know that Titus, Paul's companion, has been to Corinth, and he's come back. And Paul, uh, sorry, Titus, while he was there, had heard what the opponents were saying about Paul. Things like what we see in verse 10. It's a quote. They were saying his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is weak and his speech is of no account. That little quotation, that may be the strongest indicator of what he was dealing with. It implies a lot. There's no suggestion that these are Judaizers. Uh, people who, of Jewish background, who were trying to get Corinthian Gentiles to first become Jews in order to have Jesus as Christ. No suggestion that that's, that's there at all. No, because their appeal, their appeal to authority seems to be directed to themselves. Where is the voice of authority that these people are saying? They are pointing to themselves by criticizing Paul's charisma or lack of charisma, criticizing his rhetorical skill or lack of rhetorical skill. What they're doing is commending their own abilities. By contrast, look at Paul. Now look at us. Paul points it out. He says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves, they weigh themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. That approach, when they're doing that, they're demonstrating a lack of understanding. This kind of measurement so as we're trying to understand what's going on here, that, that appeal to personal authority, that was common among teachers of the Gnostic gospel or Gnostic gospels. Uh, there were as many forms of Gnostic teaching as there were Gnostic teachers. So th this is it's like we experience. There's as many forms of authority as someone who claims authority. Social media influencers. Just a, a moment here, young people. If any of you are thinking that your, your goal in life, your career, is to be a social media influencer. I beg you to get rid of that. Uh, that is to claim for yourself a, an authority to shape peop other people, to shape lives, that you have not been given that authority. Fear that. There were as, 
as many forms of Gnostic teaching as there were teachers. Because each one of them claimed to have a, a personal secret knowledge. Each one of them claimed that the divine spirit had revealed to him uh, something that no one else had seen and no one else had known. And that, that their disciples could be elevated to that higher level. They had been lifted up. They had been elevated. And what they were offering is, you too, you can come to where I, have, where, where I am. The behavior of these misled Corinthians that we've picked up on through the letter in rejecting the simple gospel, in rejecting a gospel that's for everyone, and behaving high-handedly, behaving with arrogance towards the one who brought them the simple gospel. It, it suggests the pride of people thinking of themselves as super spiritual. That's the poison. False teachers who claim to be super spiritual telling Corinthians, simple Christians, that you can be super spiritual. The false gods are proud. It's the marker of false gods. They're proud. They claim that they will make you wise and godlike in the quickest way without suffering. That's Satan's oldest, that's his first lie. You can be like God, just do what I'm telling you instead of what he's telling you. It's the oldest. And if you do, you'll immediately be above your brothers and sisters. You'll immediately know more than your leaders because you've been given the secrets. Beware of those kinds of claims. They, they come to us regularly today. Beware of people who make those claims, who offer an experience or they claim to be able to give you insights that will rapidly move you to heightened spirituality. If you just do this course of prayer, you will be, you will have heightened spirituality without suffering. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering. The way to maturity in Christ always includes suffering. There's no way around it. It's the way that he's given to us. He didn't just model it in Jesus. He called us explicitly, called us explicitly to it and said, follow me in this. Take up your cross, follow me. Not just, not go to the guru and he'll give you that bit of knowledge and you can avoid all of that. There are no gurus in the family of Christ. So, look how Paul frames his defense. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness. Meekness means one who has strength, who has power, but chooses to use it in small measure, in controlled measure. God in Christ is the definition of meekness. In the Old Testament, we're told Moses was the meekest man alive. Moses who looked, was given 
access to the glory of God, the meekest man alive. And so it's by and in and in accordance with that character, the character of Christ that Paul speaks to the Corinthians. All throughout here, there will be this contrast between how he's reminding them, how he approaches and how these false teachers approach. Now, as he's writing this letter, Paul knows that this letter is going to be read in each of those house church gatherings. But he also knows that whatever false teachers are there are also going to be hearing this read aloud. So keep that in mind. His primary audience is, is certainly the gathered churches of Corinth. But a secondary audience are these very false teachers that he's warning against. They're there. So he immediately shows that he knows their words. He says, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold to you when I'm away, this thing that you say, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. All right, he says, I know what you've been saying. Uh, his enemies are pointing to, they're pointing to his disposition. They're pointing to how he has ministered, ways that he's ministered. Paul says, in essence, you have misunderstood. You have misunderstood my approach. You have misunderstood the message. Verse 7, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So he's going to explain his approach. We might say that uh, he's going to be giving a defense of his philosophy of ministry and a defense of the authority that he has. Uh, so... Uh, running all the way through these next chapters is a contrast between self-claimed authority, self-assertion, on the basis of skill, on the basis of charisma, personal authority, contrasted with authority given by Jesus and that rests in Christ and that shows itself in the message of truth itself, in the effectiveness of the message of truth itself, in the transformative power of the message itself. He doesn't have to point to himself at all. He can point to the message. A false teacher wants to attach people to himself or to herself at cost to them. So the false teacher wants the cost to be borne by others. The apostle, a true apostle, wants to attach people to Jesus at cost to himself. The cost will be here, here. The cost not out there. So because their aims are different, they reason and they appeal differently. The aims are different. False teachers are concerned with prosperity here in this world. They're concerned with getting ahead here. They're concerned with reputation here. They're concerned with 
their own, but also that what they're giving has reference to what's perishing, this perishing order. And so the goal of a pleasant life also comes with pleasant-sounding appeals. It sounds good. If we are thinking in a worldly way, it sounds good to us to hear worldly appeals. It sounds good to us to hear about worldly prosperity, getting ahead, getting what we want. That, that sounds good. But Paul says there, here in verses 2 to 3 that the false teachers think Paul is like them. They suspect us of walking in, a, walking in the flesh, walking in a worldly way. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Though we walk in the flesh, he's playing on the word flesh here. Though we are in the body, though we're in the world, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We can't escape the fact that we have bodies, and here we are moving around. But we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not worldly. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Worldly strongholds? Actual buildings? We destroy arguments. We destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So to say this another way, you can track with me. The false teachers work merely on appeals to your desires. They work on appeals to your flesh. Their arguments and ideas are oriented to what's perishing. This is like our pagan teachers today. The appeal to us, right? It, the, the barraging appeals that are made to us are to our desires, to our comforts. They're, they're to our flesh. But the true apostle, Paul here, he wants to see things all things brought under the authority of Christ. So Paul has been given the power of the Spirit to unmask, to, to unveil, to dismantle false teaching. He's not, he's not interested in offering comforts. He's interested in showing the truth. And so only the Spirit makes his work effective. It's not his skills. It's not his rhetoric. It's not his ability. He cannot make the message attractive. That's beyond his ability. He simply gives the knowledge of God so that one who is drawn to Christ will see the unreality and see the vapor of the enemy's message. This is how those strongholds are destroyed. The power of the truth reveals the nature of the false thing. That it's, it's meaningless. It's vapor. And so the message he brings in the power of the Spirit will, will give life as the whole way of thinking, as the whole way of perceiving is brought under submission to Christ, brought in obedience to Christ. So that's what it means 
for every thought to be taken captive. Every perception, the word thought there, it's the same word for perception, way of perceiving. We take every every input captive to obedience to Christ, every disposition captive to Christ, every thought brought under Christ's authority. And then once Paul is confident that the congregations are standing well, that they are perceiving according to the truth. He wants those false teachers to know. He indicates right here that these divine weapons of God's Spirit are going to be brought to dismantle their teaching. That the vapor of what they're offering is going to be made known, and it's going to be embarrassing for them. It will be God that does it. It will be His weapons that do it. But it's going to be embarrassing for these false teachers. So take warning, he says to them. As we move into this chapter, though, we we also see something else, that Paul has a a discomfort in this chapter and in the coming chapters. We know that uh, Paul, he's fine with argument. He's fine with conflict. He actually sits pretty well in that place. But he doesn't like the ground of comparison. That's where the Gnostic teachers play. The game of comparison. That's where celebrities, that's where human authorities play. They like that ground. That's also where demons delight. Compare. Vaunt yourself. Look at yourself. Pride, comparison, self-promotion. Paul doesn't want to be anywhere near this. But now he feels pressed. He says elsewhere, you've pushed me to it. He feels pressed to remind the Corinthians of his authority, a true authority, and to articulate where his authority comes from. That it's not from his greatness. It's not from his skill and charisma. It's authority that's been given. And he's going to leave no doubt That his authority comes from the Lord. Verse 8, this is an authority which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you. Verse 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the man who commends himself that's accepted, but the man whom the Lord commends. So Paul makes, uh, makes an immediate application in this section. One who is commended by the Lord goes where the Lord directs him. Teaches only what the Lord commands him to teach. Uh, he, he plays with the word limit. Verses, you see, 13 to 16. He, he's using word play. On the, it can also be translated measure. So your, your translation may say the measure given or the limit. Because he only works where the Lord has directed That means where the Lord has limited him or what the Lord has measured to him. He only works there. He can't boast beyond limit. There's the word play. So the extent of what he glories in, the extent of his boasting, it's confined or it's limited to what the Lord has done. So you can think of that as geographical limit, but also to 
the grace or the, the change that the Lord has wrought. He can't boast beyond geographics or what the Lord has done. He hasn't done any of that. It's a nice, he likes puns. That's why I like Paul. So his boast, it extends to Corinth because the Lord directed him to bring the gospel to Corinth. When he brought the gospel there, he was working within the measure assigned to him. And so it's fitting for him, it's right for him to take pride in them, to exult in them, to, to experience the glory of God in them. And uh, you glance ahead, chapter 11, verse 2. It's fitting for him to feel a divine jealousy for them. For he betrothed them to Christ. He likes the fact, it's delightful to him, that he was given the blessing of introducing them to their king and their redeemer. It is, it's a great glory. But the obvious contrast here, which he, he points to, is that the false teachers were given no such commendation. They came into his sphere, within his measure, where Christ had given him authority. And then when they came, rather than acknowledging the godly authority that was there, rather than acknowledging, oh, the gospel has come to you from an apostle, well and good, they set themselves up as rivals. In the apostolic church, apostles and church planters acknowledged godly authority where it had come. They sought for unity within the visible church of Christ. If an apostle had come to a place, they celebrated that. They acknowledged this is the true gospel that has come to you. And so Paul, he's identifying. You see this contrast. What, is, what they are doing, what they... What it, the way they have come to you is out of step with the way the church works. Now for, we come to think about this for us. That has to be the way, it must be the way that we hold fast to the apostolic faith. So I want you to know that as we plant churches, as we establish missions, uh, as the Lord gives us favor in areas around Nampa, we do so within the limits established by Christ Jesus. And those are a couple kinds of limits. We can only proclaim the gospel he's given to us. This is the most important limit. We are limited to the revealed truth of God. We cannot accommodate the unchanging word of God to the authorities of the age, the authorities of culture, because we might, well, find ourselves worshiping other gods. We might find ourselves unwittingly in accommodating to these other authorities, yielding obedience, yielding allegiance to other gods. We have not been given authorization to change the written word of God. We've not been given permission to yield to any other authority in heaven or on earth, even if it makes it easier for, easier for us to live in this culture. Because it, it would. It would. 
What do we hear from this word? Instead, we take every thought captive. We take every opinion captive. Every idea that lifts itself, every imagination that claims authority, we take all of that into obedience to Christ. What that means is that we filter our news. We filter our teachers. We filter our politicians through the lens of God's Word written. It's our filter. It's how we take ideas captive. Social media must come under the authority of Christ. I I cannot mean that we change social media. We don't have the capacity to do that. We do it, you do it. We bring our use of social media under the authority of Christ. Public opinion, the norms of our friends must be brought to the judgment of Jesus. What I'm not saying is that we judge our friends. We bring, we take what they give to us, thoughts and ideas, and we bring those to the judgment of Christ. Everyone else, we leave to the judgment of Christ. We are not their judges. But we take those ideas captive. And we can accept what is good. Because there's a lot of good. Common grace means God has sown wisdom into the world. There's a lot of good. We can accept what is good. But how do we know if it's good? The Word has already shown us. So we bring it to the Word. And finally, as we join the Lord in the spread of His kingdom, thinking about our limits, we acknowledge godly authority, like the early church, like all times and all places where God's people have been faithful. We acknowledge godly authority. What I mean is, when we start gatherings in a nearby town, we don't want to take people away from other faithful churches. We rejoice in the faithfulness of other church bodies. We want all God's people to be well established. However we can help, we want to. As much as we can, however we're able. We want to encourage God's people, all the people of God, to know and love the Lord Jesus. We have been given the authority to to make Christ known. That is ours. Not just mine, that is Ours. It's yours. You have the authority to make Christ known. Recall when he sent out the disciples, the 12. Recall when he sent out the 72. He gave them authority to make him known, to go into all the places where he himself was going to be going. And now, wherever it is we go, that's the place that he is going. He's given us that authority to make him known. And we should use it in every way that we know how, with all the grace that we can, in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Your word is alive. It's living. It's active. There's never a time when your word is irrelevant or boring. We accept that 
If we find your word boring, we are boring. Lord, I pray that we, as this congregation, has committed to read through the story of your coming in Christ and the formation of your church. As we read the New Testament, Lord, would we find it challenging and piercing? Would you, would you give to us the, the spiritual gift of knowing how to use your word to judge us, to measure us, to be a filter for us? Raise us up and mature us. We pray in Jesus' name.